0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Before we look at our text here, verses 14 through 18... Let me quickly review some of the things we talked about last Sunday. This is part two of our lesson, The Believer's Supreme Desire. We said that every believer should have this desire. That is to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Father God. How many of you believe that this morning? That should be the believer's supreme desire. To be well-pleasing in the sight of our Father God. We know that Enoch, before he was translated, had this testimony that he pleased God. His life pleased God. We also know that Jesus said that he always does, he always does those things that are well-pleasing in the Father's sight. So the Father was well-pleased with his life. And we went on to say that our supreme desire should be the same. And when the Father looks at us, he says, this is... My beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Amen. We said this involves certain things. Number one, it involves conformity to God's divine likeness and image. And we talked about that. Number two, we said it involves conformity to God's holiness. And we talked about that. We said it involves conformity To God's divine will for our lives, and we talked about that. And then we said it involves also an exhibition of divine love in our lives, and we talked about that. And also, we said it involves living by faith, because without faith it is impossible to what? To please God. Now, to continue our study, I would like to share with you this morning about how this is to be obtained in the believer's life. So look at verses 14 through 16 or through 18 with me, if you would please, and we'll begin. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath an infidel, or he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? ye are not the te- you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate underline that word separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty First of all, this is to be obtained in our lives, number one, through separation and consecration. Separation and consecration. And you notice in this verse 17, we are instructed to come out from among them and be separate. That word there, separate, means to set apart. It means to disconnect. It means to sever sever yourself from that which is unclean or unholy. In other words, it's our responsibility once we come to Christ to begin separating ourselves or disconnecting ourselves from those things which are unclean or unholy. And if you just go on reading to chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, Paul didn't write in chapter and verse. He just wrote a letter man divided up in chapter and verse for better reference verse 1 is a continuation of what he is saying having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us notice cleanse ourselves from what? all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God so we make a decision to separate ourselves from those things that God considers to be unholy or unclean in his sight And that includes all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So as you read through the Word of God, you find out exactly what God said. Separate yourself from those things. When I first got saved, I began to realize that God wanted me to clean up my act. And so I began to find out what His Word said about it and separate myself into those things that are holy and clean and separate myself from those things that are unholy and unclean so I could be pleasing in the sight of God the Father. So let's not forget that. It doesn't mean we can go on living the way we want to. So in other words, if you found yourself involved with the wrong crowd, doing wrong things, separate yourself from that crowd. Get hooked up with believers and start serving God. Amen? That's one way. That's the separation part. But let's look at the second part of that. It's also consecration. Look at Matthew 13, or Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. If we want to be well-pleasing in the sight of the Father God, Matthew three thirteen, Jesus once again here being our example. I can't think of a better example to follow. Can you? Beginning at verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. That verse reveals to us Jesus' absolute consecration of life. This was His consecration to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If we want to be well pleasing in the sight of the Father, we must live a consecrated life a separated life, and also a consecrated life. And Jesus here consecrated Himself to fulfill all righteousness, and that pleased the Father. Now, let's break that down for better understanding. What does it mean to live a consecrated life? Well, number one, a consecrated life means that the life is dedicated to God. So, it involves, number one, the dedication of the whole life to God. Now, you may not be called to be a missionary to China, or Africa, or any other place in this world. But you have been called by God to dedicate your life to Him. If you are a businessman, what that means is, God doesn't want you to stop being a businessman. What He wants is to be involved in your business. What He wants is you to give Him your life. And see to it that He is first place in your business. If you're a professional person, it doesn't necessarily mean that now that you're a Christian, you've got to, you know, just leave your profession and go to China somewhere like so many think. What it means is this. God wants your life. And that means that God doesn't want you to give up your profession, but He wants to be involved in your profession. He wants to have a part in it. And the same thing holds true if you're a farmer. It doesn't mean He wants you to give up farming. No, He just wants to be on the farm with you. He wants to have that first place in your life. It doesn't matter if you're a housewife. You don't give up being a housewife. You just see to it that your life is dedicated to the Lord. And in all that you do, you give your life over to Him as a housewife. So no matter what the profession is, no matter what we do in life, if we're a steelworker, worker, if we're an electrician, if we're a lawyer, if we're a doctor, whatever it is, He wants our life. And He wants to see to it that He is first in our business. He is first in our profession. He is first in the home. He is first on the job. He is first on the farm. He is first in all that we do. That's what it means, a dedication of the light. Secondly, it also means a dedication of our talents and abilities under God. God has given each and every one of us talents and abilities. And every good talent that is effective in this outside or secular world can be used in the kingdom of the living God. I used to, before becoming a Christian, play that instrument over there, that guitar, in bands. I used to make my living with that guitar. I used to teach guitar and I used to play in bands. And I never realized I could have used that instrument to the honor and to the glory of God. I would take it into nightclubs. I would take it to weddings. I would take it to parties. I would go all kinds of different places and supplement my income when I had a job by playing that instrument. I don't know about you, but I don't think that God has a whole lot to do with the nightclub scene. Let me restate that. I know that God doesn't have a whole lot to do with the nightclub scene. And when I got saved, I made a definite dedication of my talents and abilities to the Lord. And I said I would not use that instrument for that kind of gain any longer in my life. I would use it only for the Lord God Almighty. And as I began involving myself in the work of the church, I saw that there was one thing that I could do. And that was to contribute to the music ministry by playing the guitar. Now, you have to understand this takes time. Because this particular church that I got involved in, when they asked me to play the guitar, I still had a little bit of Johnny B. Good in me. You know what I mean? I had a little bit of Johnny B. Good in me. And we start playing some of these songs like we did this morning, Victory and Jesus, and I just cut loose one time. And all of a sudden, the preacher looked over at me back in the corner. Kind of just let myself go there for a minute. You know, I I guess I wasn't totally delivered from that spirit of nightclub. But thank God, I've developed. (laughs) And every time that temptation comes to cut loose, I just hold back. I now use it to assist and aid people in the true worship and praise of the Father God. I'm not concerned about whether or not I can cut this lick or cut that lick. What I'm concerned about is whether or not I lead people in the true worship of the Father. And I've learned this. I can use my talents and abilities for this worldly cause, but I'll tell you what, those things are going to die with the using. But as I use that instrument for the cause of Christ, His cause will never end. I'm investing in something that's eternal. Can you say amen? And you know what? Anything you have, by way of talent and ability, can be used for the glory and honor of your God. God. Dwight L. Moody was preaching at a revival one time, and all of a sudden, there was a mother sitting there with a, a baby that started to cry. And of course, as the baby continued in crying, people around her began to become annoyed. They just couldn't take the sound of the baby crying. Well, it went on for a little period of time, and all of a sudden, Brother Moody stopped his sermon, and he looked over, and he said, Why are you people becoming upset and annoyed with the baby crying? The baby's cry doesn't bother me at all. He said, "Uh, But I think what you're doing is embarrassing the mother. And so he addressed her and said, Young lady, are you a Christian? And she said, No. She probably wasn't even able to attend the revival meeting unless she she took her baby there. And And he asked her, is that the case? And she said, yes. So you've come to hear the gospel message, haven't you? And she said, yes. Well, immediately ten ladies got up and took the baby out somewhere. And just walked off somewhere and let the mother sit there and hear the gospel. He never did get back to preaching his sermon. He just stood there and said, you know, this pleases God. God is well pleased with this. See, it doesn't matter. You think you've got to do something spectacular for Jesus? Whatever you can do in the work of the church, whatever you can do to assist the Spirit of God in drawing men's hearts is beneficial to the kingdom of God and reward you in the life hereafter. You know what? As I said, I never got back to preaching his sermon, but when he got done exhorting the people, the first one at the altar was the mother of that baby. And she accepted the Lord. And following her or a multitude of people to accept Christ into their lives. So you may think it's just something small, but it's not small in the sight of God. Anything that will serve the cause of Christ, believe me, is big in His sight. Amen? Amen. So it's a dedication also of your talents and abilities. Thirdly, it involves a dedication of your time. Would you like to hear a paradox? We have... More time saving devices than ever before in the realm of human history, but less time for God than ever before in the realm of human history. I mean think about that we have more time saving devices, but we have less time for prayer, for the study of god 's word, for the work of the church, to engage ourselves, involve ourselves in the activities of God. Well, beloved, let's make note of this fact. No one ever became a productive Christian without giving time, effort, and energy to the study of God's Word, to prayer, and to actively involving themselves in the work of the kingdom upon this earth. Whether it be through a local church body or having their own particular ministry. No one has ever matured or become productive in the realm of Christianity without doing it. And so you see, it involves the dedication of our time. As well as our life, talents, and abilities. And then finally, turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Malachi, just a few pages back. Chapter 3. And I realize we're going to hit home now. I don't mention this often, but I mention it. It also involves... That is the life of consecration, a dedication of our money. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Good question. Yet ye, have, ye say, Ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have ye robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if ye will not open your window, the windows of heaven. And pour ye out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, one time there was a preacher and his wife who went into a five and ten cent store. And they saw a little ragged, dirty boy, I mean, looking, gazing into the showcase that was filled with all sorts of candy. I mean, they saw the look on his face as he was just gazing, looking, because he wanted that candy so bad. Well, the preacher reached into his pocket, pulled out a 25-cent piece and gave it to the clerk and said, Let the little boy pick out whatever he wants. And so the little boy went to, he was just spastic. He was going crazy, picking out anything and everything he could get for 25 cents. Back then, you can get a lot for 25 cents. Today, you can't get a whole lot for 25 cents. But he got a bag full of candy. And so the preacher and his wife just looked at the little boy, and I mean, he was stuffing it in his face faster. The machine gun bullets can fly. Just stuffing it in his face, and you know how they do. Well... He looked at him, the preacher did, and said, Son, can I have a piece of that candy? And the boy looked up at him with those big eyes. He clutched that bag as tight as he could. Turned around and made a beeline for the door and ran as fast as he could saying, Mine, mine, mine. God blesses us with everything. He gives us everything. All the money that we have, all the possessions that we have, it all came from God. And let us never forget that. He asks us for one part of it back. We going to be like that little boy? and Just turn around and run out the door and say, no, that's mine. See, God asks, asks one part of it back in tithes and offerings of all that He has poured out upon our lives. Let's not be like the little boy. Let's just go ahead and give God His part. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's let's just give God His part. That's all He asked for. You say, that's all you preach about tithing? That's all I preach. That's it. If you don't want to give, just go on robbing God. You don't need to wear a handkerchief around your face. He knows you. You don't have to pull a nylon over your head. He knows what you look like. You don't have to put a gun in his back. You can't threaten him with bombs or anything else. He knows who we are. Amen? Let me give you another testimony here. This one fellow was the Sunday school superintendent. He loved the Lord. He involved himself faithfully in the work of the church. And opened up his own business. And as a result, the Lord blessed his business. And he was able to give $100 a week to the church. Well, as the Lord blessed his business, his business began to grow. Got to the place, he opened up another store in another town. His business began to flourish. And as he involved himself in the activities of his business, he slowly began to wean himself from the work of the church. And even though uh, he began to, of course, have an increase in his business and in his finances, he still only continued to give $100 to the church. Until finally, he began to go over on the weekends and spend the weekend up there where his other, his other store was in another city. Well, of course, he wasn't attending church then. So finally, the preacher got to the point that he was deeply concerned about this particular person's spiritual welfare. Used to be the Sunday school superintendent, gave of his tithes, worked faithfully in the church, loved God, served God. So he went up there and paid the man a visit. And he said to him, He said, John, what's happening? He said, Well, you know, I'm really busy. Lord, Lord has blessed my business. I've got so much work to do. I've got these stores to take care of and all that. I spend weekends up here. That's why I can't be in church, etc., etc., etc. And the pastor just looked at the fellow and he said, well, let's kneel down and pray. His prayer was something like this. He said, Lord, I pray that John's businesses begin to fail. Maybe they might burn down the buildings or something like that. And he went on and on praying this negative prayer about John. And as he was going on, he said, Because you see, Lord, we want to have the old John back. The old John that loved you, the old John that served you, and the old John that gave up his tithes and offerings to support your work upon this earth, who was faithful and cared about people. We like to have the old John back. Well, right when he starts saying that, it hit John, and John stopped the preacher and he said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." And he began to pray, and he said, "Oh Lord, forgive me." He began to repent. Next week, John was back in church. Next week, John was involved in the work of the church. John began to tithe again. See, he was making more than what his tithe showed. And now he began to tithe. He once again became faithful in the work of the church. He once again was not too busy for the work of God. And he saw to it that he managed his business affairs another way. Do you see what happens, beloved? When we get so caught up in these things, we can just get too busy for God. That's when you know that something is wrong on the inside. Well, the man got it right and we thank God for that. But you'll find out that when a person begins to lose out with God, that's one area also that they'll stop involving themselves in. That is supporting the work of the Lord upon the earth. And that's why I say it's nothing to do with us, with each other. As far as I'm concerned, it's between a man and God. And that's why Malachi said it that way. But once again, it does show what's on the inside of a man's heart. So let's not forget what consecration means. It means the dedication of the life, talents and abilities, time, and also money unto God and to His work upon this earth. Also, turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 51 and verse 6. Number 2, as to how this is to be attained within our lives. Psalm 51, verse 6. There must be cultivated within the life of the individual the spirit of earnest sincerity. There must be cultivated, number two, within the life of the individual, if this is to be obtained in his life, that is, living a life that is well-pleasing to God, the spirit of earnest sincerity. Psalm 51 and verse 6, well, maybe we better read right on through to put it in its setting. Verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, but out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Underline that. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. In other words, David was going on with his life, he was going on as being king, but his heart was caught up in pride. And sin. He had committed adultery. Covered it up. Very deceitfully. He thought he was sly and getting away with something. But as I said, we, God knows us. We can't hide anything from God. He went on, but all his activities that he was engaged in, believe me, were insincere. He wasn't sincere in his heart. If he was, He'd have been right with God, but he wasn't. He went on through the motions, doing the things that he was doing before his sin, but he wasn't sincere. You know, God doesn't want us to engage ourselves in pretense and guile. Because all pretense and all all guile displeases Him. Also, He doesn't want us to be engaged or involved in formality and outward shows. Because all of that displeases Him. And that's what I mean when I say, You know, beloved, I believe God's in the shout. How many of you know that God's in the shout? But God's not in the shout of insincerity. If one is insincere inside the heart, and just doing things as an open show, then God's not in that. You remember when the Israelites had iniquity in their hearts? But when they went out to war against the Philistines... They thought that God was going to help them because the Ark of the Covenant was there, so they began to shout. And even though in their loudest shout, God wasn't in it. And because God wasn't in it, there was no deliverance. God didn't fight for Israel that day, and they were defeated. Did you get that? But then there was another time when they repented of their sins, and their hearts were right before the Lord. And then they began to shout. And you know what happened? God was in it. Because there was sincerity of heart. It wasn't an outward show. That's all we're saying, beloved. There wasn't that outward show. There was an inward conviction. Inward sincerity of heart. And what they did, they did out of a sincere heart. And as they did it, praise God, God was in it. I like it when God's in it, don't you? There's always results when God's in it, beloved. And so he is saying this. And we can align this with... Just write it down, Matthew 15:8, where Jesus said, We can honor God with our lips, but our heart be what? Far from Him. Didn't Jesus say that? And that's all we're talking about. If we want to live a life that is well-pleasing to God, we must cultivate within ourselves a spirit of earnest sincerity. We set aside and avoid formality and outward shows, but we see to it there is harmony between our lips, our heart, and our life. That we have uprightness of heart, integrity of heart, thoroughness of character, and also reality of His grace. His graces in our lives. Another thing that needs to be developed, if you'll turn with me please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Because apart from these things, we'll never be well-pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Look at verse 9. There must be developed a spirit of unfeigned humility. <clears throat> and he spake this parable unto a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank that I am not, as other men... It's the wrong attitude of heart. No. God, the Bible says, will exalt those that humble themselves. And humility is this. Father, I see in your word that it says this. At this point in my life, I've not experienced the reality of it. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm willing to change. I give myself to you. I humble myself before you. That I may draw near to you. That you would draw near to me. That's the true spirit of humility. And whatever it is, God will reach out and meet that need. He'll lift you up to that place where you can receive. I mean that. I believe that with all of my heart. It's when people stop looking at others and stop, ex- stop exalting themselves. I-, I had one woman just sit there and tell me, well, if God would heal anybody, it would be me. I've been in the church for 30 some odd years, I've given up my tithes. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this, and I've done... and just named off all these things. Now, if Jesus was saying here, was standing here, he'd say it like this. I mean, he did it in the Bible. he do. I'm sure he'd do it again today. Thou hypocrite! That's what he told the Pharisees over there in Matthew 23. You hypocrite! Didn't he say that? Amen. It's the truth of God's Word, and that's what we're looking for, is truth in the inner parts. Now, if he do it for anybody, He'll do it for anyone that comes to Him by faith, with a pure heart, with a humble spirit, with a spirit of earnest sincerity. That's who He'll do it for. And, beloved, when we have that kind of an attitude, no matter what we need from God, we'll get to the point that we can receive it. I believe that with all of my heart. And then finally, we'll close it out with this. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 8, because this is so important to all of our lives. If we truly want to live a life that is well-pleasing to God our Father, Romans chapter 8, there must be cultivated or developed within us spirituality of mind. And I'll show that to you in the Word of God. Beginning in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, they mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. And that word means hostility. It implies opposition and hatred. Enmity against God. In other words, the carnal mind opposes God. Would to God we'd all be delivered from the carnal mind. Notice. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot what? Cannot what? Cannot. Everybody say cannot. Cannot please God. So unless there is developed within us and cultivated within our lives spirituality of mind, we just can't please God. Now, I believe that scripture is just as true as Hebrews 11.6, that without faith you can't please God. Do you believe that? Now, turn with me to our closing scripture, and it's in Colossians chapter 3. And beginning at verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. As believers, he is saying we must develop a brand new mindset. Have our minds renewed to the way that God thinks. If we want to be well pleasing to God, we must develop God's way of thinking. For his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. How many of you know that will take time, effort, and energy? Well, let me give you an example when I first got saved I didn't know any better I thought it was okay to go back into a nightclub and play my guitar at first for just got saved I mean I I just got saved and that's what I did for a living so one night I went just got saved to spy out the land so to speak because you're always looking for different clubs to play in walk into a club to see you know to look at it we always go there like I said and 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 spy out the land to find out, you know, if you can play here or whatnot. Because they would have groups come in, they would stay for a certain period of time, then they would leave. They would have fresh people come in all the time, and so, you know, we just want to get on the list. We sat down. You talk about getting antsy. You get saved, you get blood washed, you get saved, you walk into a place like that, you talk about getting your skin to crawl. I begin to shake. I began shaking that place, and on the inside I says, we don't belong here. Dear God, we don't belong here. I mean it. I like it when God does it. And you can tell people until you're blue in the face, and it's not as effective as, you know, when they really love God and want to serve God and want to know His will. And so I had that fear on the inside. just something. I didn't have all the Scriptures. I didn't know everything. But all I knew is this, I don't belong here. That's why I got rid of the guitar. I sold it. Got rid of everything. Just never thought I could use it for God. It's a long story. I won't get into it. But I got rid of it all. You know, just didn't want to use it ever because I wasn't aware of what they did in Pentecostal churches and all that. (laughs) You know. So it's developing a brand new mindset. And I did right then. I started to think like God thought. It's not the right thing to do. So don't do it. Separate yourself. Use your talents and abilities some other way. Whatever. Separate stuff. Start thinking like God thinks. And that's what it says here. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection or your mind. As my margin says, set means to exercise your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Develop a brand new mindset by exercising your mind on things that be above. Now, beloved, you know that First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 talks about sensual lusts and desires that war against the mind. And that the believer's true battle is right there in that realm of the mind. And that unless we start setting our minds and exercising on our minds on things that be above, then that carnal flesh of ours will war against our mind and prevent its development in spiritual things. And the biggest warfare that we're engaged in as believers is this one right here. Sensual desires that war against the mind. I was in a store, a Bible bookstore, and this lady behind the counter. I knew what her background was, denominational-wise, because just the way she was talking to me. Happened to believe in this, this doctrine of once saved, always saved. Oh, I believe in being once saved, always saved. If you stay in Jesus, don't try getting out of Jesus and think you're going to be saved. And she sat back there. Look at this mindset that it produced in Her. She says, I don't even read my Bible anymore. I said, you don't. She says, nah. Told me who she was, what her background was. And I found out where I go to church that I'm in God's grace now. I said, you are. And she said, yes, I am. I said, and now you don't have to read your Bible anymore. Nope. I don't even have to obey the commandments if I don't want to. I said, you don't. Oh, man, I want... Think about that thinking like, you know, you're going to want what I have. Am I going to want what she has? Well, she went on to say, I can do anything I want. I can go anywhere I want. I can do whatever I want. Because now I'm a child of God. I'm in His grace and once saved, always saved. Now that poor thing was self-deluded. Brainwashed into thinking that she could live her life like the devil and still make heaven her home. No, You always find out that those central desires that war against the mind, if you think that way, will overcome you in the end. You know what what happened? Then she went on to say, like I just went to a bar just the other day. It didn't bother me. You know what that's called? A seared conscience is what that's called. That's what that is. Do you see that, beloved? Now, if we want to be well-pleasing in the sight of God, we're going to have to develop spirituality of mind. Set our mind on things above. Exercise on my, our minds on things above. Getting our minds renewed to the Word of God and doing things the way God wants them to be done. And that is true with regard to all of our areas of life. In our marital relationship, husbands and wives today in our society think they can do whatever they want. It doesn't affect them with God. And that's not true. I'm sorry, that's not spirituality of mind. People think they can just do what they want with their money and that doesn't matter to God. It does matter to God, beloved. It may be your money, but He is the one that giveth the power to get wealth. He is the one that gave you all that you have, just like that preacher gave that little boy 25 cents and all the candy he wanted wouldn't give one piece back to the preacher. Think about that. See, develop a new mindset. Not one of greed and selfishness and satisfying self or sensual desires, but one of what? Loving and serving God and and doing His work in the kingdom. And, beloved, when it comes to a church like a local body like this here, I believe the biggest need is to get us to think the right way. I believe that. I mean that. The Bible says, be of one mind and one accord. Didn't it say that? We can develop spirituality of mind, and our mind will be set on spiritual things and not on carnal things. Wanting more of the spirit more of the glory of God, more of the blessings of God, more of God's love manifested within our midst. And if everybody would begin to think like that, that we can become a functional body for Jesus Christ on this earth where every part is providing and supplying what he or she has to offer. Beloved, we would be a dynamic force for God on this earth that would accomplish His purpose both internally and externally and bring honor and glory to His name. I believe that. Do you believe that this morning? I believe that with all of my heart. So if you want to be well-pleasing to God, beloved, just get a hold of this message. Listen to it over and over again for a few you know, times until it gets inside your spirit. And then set yourself to accomplishing these things in your life. And I believe that each and every one of us will live a life that is well-pleasing to the Father God. Can you say amen? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry.